As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Welcome to The View from the Lane, the world-famous Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly. I'm joined the podcast today by Charlie Eccleshair and Jack Pitt-Brook. Um, I wonder where we're going to start. I ended I ended last Thursday's podcast by saying, and of course, we'll be back on Monday when we'll be cheerfully reflecting on a triumphant victory uh, for the mighty Spurs, which as it turns out, Charlie, we are, although you didn't see it in person. Yeah, got as far as Euston and then um, just waited as more and more trains were getting cancelled, so I had to do it from my living room. But, to, um, to be fair, I'd normally like to blame the Premier League, um, Sky TV or British Rail as was um, for this, but no one could do anything about the storm. So uh, it, it was quite funny, actually, because one of the trains that was cancelled, it was very suspenseful. Cause they were like, we are, we're just waiting on one staff member. There is just one st- If we can get him, we can go. And uh, he didn't show up. Uh, well, you know, of course, from my time, uh, my, my lovely time working for British Rail, that's called crew displacement. You were suffering right. there from what's called crew displacement. Let's get back to the important thing. Um, let, as I say, sometimes say that bunting be hung from every village hall and let fires be lit in the high places of the land. Spurs beat Manchester City. How did they do it? And wasn't it great? Yeah, it's weird as well, actually, because I was saying to Jack uh, before the game, I, was, I did have a, what did I say? Oh, I have a weird feeling Spurs might steal a 1-1, which was about as optimistic a prediction, I think, as mm. anyone was making. You know, I think all the, the doom and gloom beforehand was... I don't know. I, I mean, I guess partly, you know, stop clock being right twice a day, but also the, um, you know, the fact Spurs do have this hold over City. Um, yeah, I mean, they did it largely the way they've hurt City before. I mean, City, like Liverpool, pretty much give you one half of the pitch. I mean, they absolutely, they, they make, they suffocate you. They make it so, so hard to get out. But if you can get out then suddenly against City, you do have these quite big spaces in behind. And they they seem to be so effective, Spurs, at doing that, of having some... Obviously, on this occasion, it was Kane dropping in, Mm -hmm. Son going in behind uh, and exploiting them that way. They carried such a threat on the counter. Um, This wasn't just... I mean, obviously, look, when you go to City, they're going to have way more of the ball. They're going to create chances. But 
given all of that, I thought it was about as good an away performance, certainly in an attacking sense, as you, as you can produce against a team as good as Man City. Well, look, and again, I'm actually holding in my hand now. You won't see this on the podcast. The lads can see. I've actually got a stopped clock in my hand here. <laughs> this is a radio studio clock that is stopped. Um, because I too, you'll remember on Thursday, do you remember what I said? How Spurs could, not would, win this game. The only thing that ever seems to disturb Manchester City with my eyes, and I have no uh, UEFA coaching badges, is if you if you break their rhythm, you could do it in the old days by fouling them, but they can't do that now. Um, so you have to somehow threaten them. And the only way to threaten Manchester City, since they play all their players in your half, is with a, with the long ball. So I'd play Son up front and let Kane be the extra midfielder and, and, and genuinely belt this ball long force them at least to do something other than what they habitually do. Jack, you, uh, you watch uh, Manchester City as much as, as anybody, and you watch Spurs as well. Um, this, I hate to say it, there's a mad pattern to this now. It seems to keep happening to City, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm afraid my prediction for this game was not quite as good. I messaged Charlie, I WhatsApp Charlie on Saturday morning and said, quote, I am not great at predictions, but I genuinely think City are going to win 5-0. End quote. <laughs> uh, well, you're very, you're very good to admit that, and why wouldn't you? Of course. So yeah, I would. Obviously, Spurs have done this in the past. I didn't think they would do it this time. To be honest, I actually thought Spurs would. I, I, I kind of half watched the game in the pub on Saturday, but I watched it back on Sunday. I thought Spurs, Spurs were better in this game than I think in certainly their last three wins against City. Just in terms of, you know, they were playing against a better City team. Like, I think City right now are better than they've ever been, probably. Yeah, fantastic. Spurs didn't have the luck of the green. You know, they had the disallowed goal, which really marginal offside call. Kind of unlucky with that late penalty decision against them. City didn't really create that much. I thought Spurs created more stuff through the course of the game. Some of the, you know, the the two home wins they had under Jose Mourinho and the one they had under Nuno, in those three games, I thought they had to ride their luck a bit. To be honest, I thought they were more convincing in this game than they were in those last three. It was really, I think you have to go back to Pochettino to maybe the Champions League first leg 1-0 April 2019 or the famous... 2-0 at home under Guardiola's first game against Tottenham or the, maybe the 4-1 back when Pellegrini was still there to find an equivalent performance. The Tottenham mm. were just so good in everything they did. They were clever. The game plan was fantastic. The individuals were great. Yeah, it was really, really fantastic performance overall. I mean, Charlie, how do you account for this transformation? Because let, let's be fair, we were moaning. I mean, literally like... Um, uh, old old men in a pub moaning about the price of sprouts, um, <laughs> d- 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 about how bad Spurs have been in recent weeks, and this is essentially the same group of players with with, with the uh, important that you'd hardly think transformative addition of Eric Dyer. Yeah, well, I mean, it's weird, isn't it? You look at their last five get five league games. Two of them have been wins, City and Leicester, both of which were oh my God, what has just happened? These are among the most incredible wins we can remember ever for Spurs. And then the others have been, yeah, the defeat at Chelsea can happen, but then the two home defeats against Southampton and Wolves, and you're thinking, these are diabolical results. Who is this fraud who's managing Tottenham? It's been so up and down. Um, Kind of mad, and and mad as well, this... I mean, I, I tweeted that City... Of the points they've dropped this season in the league, forty percent have been against Spurs. It's mad. I mean, for, for an all-conquering team, they do seem to have this 
um, kind of blind spot when it comes to Spurs. They don't really seem to know what to do. And that's against a, a number of different managers over the last few years. I mean, Mourinho, Nuno, Conte, they've all they've all gone and beaten um, yeah. City. Not to mention Poch, as Jack oh, said. But, Ryan, but obviously Ryan that was Mace, less of a surprise. Ryan Mason will be furious he didn't yeah. get to play Manchester City, won't he? <laughs> well, he did. He got to play them in the League Cup final of in his first did, game. Yeah. Of uh, course he did. Game. Right, yeah. And uh, yeah, what an opportunity. Uh, yeah. yeah, maybe they just thought they'd get, let him get in on the act. Here yeah, you go, he let Ryan. himself down <laughs> badly there, yeah, didn't th- he? Th- this is an open goal. But yeah, how do they do it? I mean, I, th- I think Dyer is a massive thing. Um, you know, it was only the second time in the league that Conte has been able to play Dyer and Romero. And that was something he set. That was a stat he volunteered. So it's clearly something that's a preoccupation for him. It means Romero can play on the right side of the centre-back three rather than in the middle. The upgrade from him to Davinson Sanchez is enormous. Uh, you look at the first goal, they were able to play out from the back. Romero clips one to Ben Davis. I don't think... Davinson, certainly at the moment, Davinson would have the confidence to be doing that. And and you do have to be brave against City. You know, you can't you can't just keep hoofing it away. You need to have some sort of outlet. And they were able to do that. Benton Core also, I think, came in and did very well. Yeah, he was. It was a low-profile, excellent performance by Benton Core. We'll talk about it a bit later. I mean, unless you watch the game very, very closely or a second time, the amount of work he did across the front of the back three was extraordinary. Um, and of course, uh, he makes the the the, the, the critical pass uh, in for for the winning goal, where I think. Other Spurs midfielders currently would have looked for the easier um, pass to Doherty. He decides to flip it over the top into that always available space behind Manchester City's full backs. And having said that Cancelo is the best... I'm going to... This is where it's my Jack moment where I fess up. Having said that Cancelo is the best player in the Premier League, I've forgotten that he doesn't always defend with the greatest diligence. I mean, I mean obviously, I mean going forward just now. And before anybody says, what are you going to do, Danny, as they did many of people on Twitter, have an open-top bus parade and a DVD. One, nobody has DVDs anymore. <laughs> Catch up. And two, um, I believe it, I genuinely believe it, is the role of football fans now who support the clubs, even the bigger clubs like Spurs, who are not petrodollar clubs. Your role is to celebrate every good victory to the to the rooftops and moan furiously about everything else that happens. That's can I our say job. As well, can I say as well, Danny, with this mm. celebration police, which was again a topic. Oh, the fun police, sod that. But, but but you can't celebrate goals anymore now because of VAR. At least let a team celebrate their wins. I Absolutely. Mean, Come you know, on, guys. It's, yeah. it's uh, totally mad. Like They've taken away the best thing or one of the best things about football. And now it's like we also we're not really supposed to celebrate wins anymore. And, and you can't have it both ways because everyone was going into this game saying City are so good. They are going to batter you, Tottenham, because they are incredible. They're the best team that's ever played in the Premier League. So good luck. You're going to lose 5 or 6 nil. Then Spurs win. It's like... Well, yeah, what's the big deal? You beat you. No, no, the winners should be allowed to celebrate whatever they want. Jack, let's move on to a performance that I think is uh, galloping along um, in terms of gathering up ink and column inches. Harry Kane, I mean, we know he's a fantastic footballer, but sometimes you need to be reminded of things that are dead obvious. What a performance. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Was that the best I've ever seen Kane play for Tottenham? I don't know. But in, what, what what I loved about it is it showed what an incredible hybrid player he is now. In terms of that, I mean, that pass around the corner to Son for the Kulisevsky goal. I think the only other player in the Premier League who can play that pass is Kevin De Bruyne. Mm. And that's something that you see quite a lot from Kane. Is he, he but like the vision, the combination of vision, audacity, and execution mm. that he that he can do is amazing. And on his yeah, weaker foot, 
on his weaker foot. Yeah, and to be fair, you know, he did used to under Jose. He would he did play a lot of passes like that, so it's not unique. But the amazing thing about Kane right now is he's combining this kind of number ten playmaking role like De Bruyne with the fact that he's he's kind of a killer in the box again. You know, he's yep. getting. Conte obviously wants him to be more in the penalty area and score more goals. He's he's in a bit of a finishing slump at the moment, which I think he is starting to come out of. And if he can do those two things at the same time, both the, the kind of number 10 stuff and the number 9 stuff, there's not really anyone else out, out there like him. Like, I, I don't think it's unlikely that he'll hit his numbers from last season simply because of, you know, slow well, start this season and variance. Jack, you've always, you've always got to look at these things. I mean, I, I totally hear you. Everything you say is right, except those were his 28th and 29th goals of this season in football. If you yeah. include his goals for England, he has nearly got 30 goals. And we're still in February. I mean, I, I mean, that I know, is slightly skewed, though, Danny. He was lashing him in against San Marino, yeah. of course, yeah, yeah, and no, a few conference league uh, ones as well. Hold on, hold on. I've slightly skew, skewed something. How, you've known me for six <laughs> months now. Yeah. <laughs> who, who would have thought? I tell you I what. Mean, is, I tell you what is coming up though, because um, I really was uh, Saturday night. I really was peering over the stats. Um, sometime in the next couple of games, he will have his thousandth shot in Premier League football. He's had nine nine hundred and ninety shots so far. Wow. I'm, I'm sure to be a long form piece in the Athletic about what's analysing all of them. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's happened to the sort of seven hundred and fifty which didn't go in? Well, he's about to overtake Henri, I think, for Premier League goals, which is mm-hmm. he's kind of next on the list for Kane. So he he is you know getting closer towards uh, oh. that that the holy grail of that Shearer record. Every single season, there's a moment where, after a slow start, Harry Kane will play well, will play well, and we'll all say, "Is Harry Kane back?" Is the kind of is <laughs> it, 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 it comes around at a slightly different point every year, but I think it's safe to say we have now finally hit the "Is Harry Kane back?" point. I think that was certainly on Saturday because he looked all the questions that he's faced in the first half of this season about motivation and energy and fitness and can he do what he used to do and where does he fit in the system? All all that stuff is gone now because this was just such a classic Kane performance that if if he isn't back, then nobody can ever be back. No, you can you can answer your joke about Kylian Mbappe. Um, is this the moment Harry Kane <laughs> yeah. has regained? He's back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I <laughs> Harry Kane announces himself. Can I ask you guys, because I, I was getting a lot of abuse for this on Sunday. I said I thought it it had to be in the conversation for best, not just Kane performances, but p- performance, individual performances by a Premier League, a player in the Premier League era. And I got a lot of people saying this was ridiculous, but no one really told me why that was ridiculous. Like in, it's in not my ridiculous. View, in, in my view, this is we're talking about City are one of the best teams in the Premier League ever, right? No one would dispute that. At pretty much peak form, their form's been sensational. And Kane has gone there for a team that have had very little possession and spent most game defending and battered that defence. He scored twice. He's made the first with, as Jack describes, an absolutely sensational pass. He has a good chance. He has one disallowed. All game, he's he's just running a team. You know, whenever he gets any opportunity, he's running them ragged. And I, so I don't see, I don't see why, other than a kind of um, re- over kind of undue respect for the past that basically says it's blasphemous to say that you know Eric Cantona or Henri or whoever only you know you can only describe those guys in those terms I don't see why that is so ridiculous no no it's not ridiculous it's it's a really good call and it got me thinking um and I think 
did, actually, I think what's 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 complicated here is that Spurs played so well that it's almost a, a downer on the team performance but that the, the leader was so dominant. I did think of one performance and um, the uh, Seven Sisters Road part of me wants to bite my lip. But in terms of one player, Andrea Shavin at Anfield that mm. day, did he get four? You got four, um, yeah. Yeah, all of them, uh, virtually solo efforts on the break. I thought maybe that was a, a performance. The, the, the mad thing of- about that was that even by his own admission, he... And this sounds utterly ludicrous. He didn't do very much other than score those four goals. Yeah, well, I mean, that's why you're on the big bucks, though, isn't it? If you can get the ball across the line. Sure. I mean, obviously, scoring four in a game that big puts you in that conversation as well. But I don't think... A few people said to me things like, Defoe scored five against Wigan. I wouldn't put those performances above Kane. Can you think of other performances, Jack? Uh, So, I actually can't. If I was drawing up a list of best ever Premier League performances... Mm. I think a lot of them would be David Silva, but obviously I have a bit of a bias there. <laughs> yeah. um, Not a bad footballer, in, though. No. In terms, of <laughs> Kane's, in terms of Kane's own performances for Tottenham, I think this probably is top because, you know, I can think of games where he's been brilliant creatively, like, for example, the the 5-2 win against Saints under Mourinho where he put on all those goals for Son, and obviously games where Kane has scored incredible and also important decisive goals against good teams. So, you know, Arsenal February 2015, Arsenal March 2016, Chelsea January 2015 would all have to be up there as well. But in terms of having both, like the creativity and the big goals, I think it really has to be towards the top. And then beyond that, you're just, I mean, it's all just subjectivity, isn't it? How do you measure yeah, one of course, individual of course. performance against another? It, it was great. I mean, it just reminds me, and I should remind people, um, Andre Arshavin um, once did one of the most frightening things I've ever seen. Now, I'm, being, I'm, I'm acutely aware of what's going on in and around Ukraine and Belarus right now. I, I got a sit-down interview with Andre Arshavin uh, for the radio when he was at his peak at Arsenal, and he spoke surprisingly good English. Um, and we got to talk about this, that, and the other. And I started to talk to him about um, the old Soviet Union. Um, and of course, the, the, the tracksuit with the CCCP on the back is indelibly printed in my teenage mind and all the rest of it. And Andre suddenly said, you know what? I miss the old Soviet Union. I did not expect to hear this from a younger Russian person. Um, and he then made the gesture with two arms sweeping out and then towards himself, like somebody collecting their winnings in a poker match. He then, I miss the old Soviet Union. I want to bring it all back. Oh, my God. I remember being fr- my blood froze listening to somebody talking about this. And yet he's not clearly not the only person who thinks this might be a good idea. No, but I remember Danny going to Russia about a decade ago and being really surprised by how many people had that view and then having to sort of check potentially are I mean obviously there are objective things you can say were bad about Soviet Union that have become yep. better but I, I think we we do assume in the West that there's this kind of like hurrah America came and saved us and, and all that which isn't but I think there is that widespread assumption that uh, that that's the case whereas I was surprised because a lot of people and this was 2011 it would have been a lot of people say no there, there's a lot of reverence and 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 almost like misty-eyed nostalgia for that um period and and a feeling that they did they kind of let themselves down were they duped by the west in the way the cold war ended okay 
Um, well, we're, Not what you were expecting. No, this is what makes this podcast A, so sensational and B, so successful. Um, speaking of... Speaking <laughs> I love that you're award-winning, which is yeah, of course. In, in our own heads. Well, I can reach out to any part of the living room and just produce my awards. There's another yep, one if you want one. to see them. Um, that that one um, is kept for a particular... It's got a very sharp edge. I use it for opening parcels. I don't keep them just lying around the, on the, in, in the front room. Well, speaking of successful, of course, we also had the elevation of Kane and Son um, to now the most successful um, strike-stroke-assist partnership in the Premier League, equaling, I think, Drogba and, and Lampard and clearly going to go past them. Um, and again, um, because Son is so ridiculously self-effacing, self-effacing enough to have signed a new contract with Spurs in the last year, <laughs> um, that, that, that's how self-effacing he is. I hope they're paying him well. Um, we should we should also I think on a day when we are being very upful about the Spurs, uh, Jack, we should pay tribute to that that combination as well. How lucky, how incredibly lucky Spurs have been to have the two of them together. Yeah, their knowledge of each other's movement is incredible. The, obviously, the technical skill they have to find one another is fantastic. They're both sort of team oriented. Son especially. I mean, you know the the opening goal. Son could easily have shot into a defender there rather than squaring it to Kulisevsky outside him. To be fair, actually, I did think was going to hit the defender. When he yeah, first so did hit. I. I think so if, did he, I. if he hadn't stumbled, he might have done. Yeah, yeah, when he hit that shot. Uh, and yeah, I can't really think of... There's not really anything else like it in the Premier League, is there? Like two players who who are both brilliant, both love playing together, and just have that, um, you know, that's the great benefit, really, of having played together for the last, what, six and a half years, is that is their knowledge of one another's games is so perfect. I'd put them right up there with Ryan Fraser and Callum Wilson, and you, and you yeah, can't, yeah. you know, you can't. There's no bigger bigger praise than that. Um, I'm just lucky to live in an era of both. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's oh, let's stop comparing them constantly. Um, which takes me on to, since we mentioned Kulusevski there, the new signings, Benton Kurt and Kulusevski. What did you make of them, uh, Charlie? And particularly poor old Kulusevski, who everyone we'd all written him off um, on the on the on sort of two substitute appearances as being a donkey, but slower. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it, how quickly it changes? I mean, yeah, the, the judgment had been made, um, handed the you know the sentence handed down, <laughs> and then. Uh, yeah, first start, he comes on against arguably the best, he plays against arguably the best team in Europe and uh, is really, really good. He was, Scores, wasn't he? has mm. an assist, looks smart with his movement and his ball retention. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I always find it funny. It must be strange if you're Conte or whoever, and if, if you ever were to gauge the temperature from supporters or from writers or whatever you know when how quickly a judgment can be made and it must just be quite baffling because he obviously will know and by the same token you know we may by wednesday he might produce a bad performance and he's back to being bad again so i'm sure. not saying this means he's no, amazing no. but no, no. i guess it's more we should probably hold our judgment on new signings uh not do it after just a few games but it's fun I mean to do that yeah, I mean, and, and we're we are forced by the nature of social media to respond uh, to, to either positively or negatively, and it's always binary um, to, exactly. to it. I mean, um, what, I definitely what, think that in the in the marketplace of takes, people were bullish on Benton Kerr and pretty bearish on Kulisevsky at the start. But uh, Kulisevsky's obviously not. I think it's because he because he's not fast. People think he's not a proper winger, is he? But he's actually he's clearly a very clever player. Um, as he showed, I thought Bentan Kerr was fantastic. Like I, I knew he could play, but I had no idea he was going to be that good without the ball. 
But he, mm. his his energy pressing was was remarkable. The number of times, and this is something that's picked up in Michael Cox's piece this morning, but the number of times that he would dart forward to put pressure on a City player and close down a pass and force City to force City to try something else. Like, and he kept on doing it all the way through the ninety minutes. His energy was. I had no idea that he was going to be that good. Uh, pressing wise and this has been such a big problem for Tottenham particularly since Skip's been out is the you know Hoy- with Hoiberg and Winks they don't really have that in quite the same way like Hoiberg was good on Saturday I thought but Bentan is just another level and he's great on the ball as well so yeah fantastic and loves the tackle as Danny said um, no. yep. when, when, when they first signed him I mean yeah, he 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 looks like being a really good signing. I, th- I think. I mean, again, <laughs> checking what everything I've just said about it being yeah. too early. But yeah, okay, we can put it this way: the early impressions are good with him. And and the thing is, against City, like he still gave the ball away quite a few times because their pressing is just so relentless and so good. But he um, he did lots of really good things, and and that is it is such an important area. It has been we've been talking about this for so long, haven't we? There the issues in central midfield. So if they can get close to sorting that out that would go a long way I think as well on Kudasevsky one thing that I think I said after his debut and this was based on people who know football far better than me but they said that he he's actually better rather than running in because against Brighton there was space in behind and he was to run into it and he couldn't and everyone was like this is alarming he can't run in to space behind but what was said at the time was that he's actually better against deeper defences where he can almost set the pace a little bit more and he can use his smarter movement rather than searing pace. And you saw that against, was it? I presume it was Cancelo who he's up against for the cross against Kane at the end where he's yeah. able to almost stop play, slow it down more to kind of how he wants to do it and still get the cross away. Um, so, you know, and maybe, you know, maybe some players are suited to different oppositions. Maybe some teams are and maybe Spurs, you know, there's just... It, it, it's for some reason it's a quite a good matchup them against City, which seems crazy when they've just struggled against Wolves and Southampton. I mean, let's. I'm going to make a, a comparison here deliberately. I mean, he's no Aaron Lennon um, in terms of pace, but then for the winning goal. And remember, we were a hundred minutes into the game, and he had covered. He had played as auxiliary right back for the entire game in the back seven at times. Um, he still had the energy to get to the ball, and he had it under control, unlike Aaron. Um, who I adore, and I, I love that he scored for Burnley yeah. this weekend. That means it was 16 years ago he first got a goal in professional football. That is, that is a an invisibly fantastic career, and I, I, I was pleased for him um, after that. I love to have a Uruguayan player in the team. Um, people who have listened to me over the years will know that I have a real soft spot for the way Uruguay used to play their football, where they compensate for having a tiny population, the same as, say, the Republic of Ireland, by being champions of the world twice. In their minds, of course, if you look over there, they, they've got actually more than two stars because they count the pre-World Cup Olympic triumphs they also had. Um, but a lot of this was achieved by being extraordinarily... Tough, shall we say that? Dirty is the word I'm looking for. And I remember um, talking to Gus Poyet about this once on the radio. And uh, I'll never, I've never heard a man so, so sad when I said, and what about Uruguay? They've got a good team. They just won the uh, the South American Championship, I think. And he said, no, Danny, we, I won't do it. He said, Gus's whole accent. We, we can't win the World Cup anymore. The, they've changed the rules to stop us. He was referring <laughs> to not being allowed to boot people up into the air. <laughs> they, they've changed the rules to stop us, he said, <laughs> which is really, really good. I remember doing an interview uh, a few years ago with Miguel Britos, 
at Watford, a great Europe, you know, yeah. kind of classic. I mean, he won't, I'm sure you won't, won't mind my saying this, but a classic Uruguayan hatchet man, centre back, Britos. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and he was talking about exactly that, about how, um, even though it's a small country, it's the kind of attitude they have to football and how competitive they are growing up through the youth systems there. And uh, obviously, you know, the Britos has had his kind of international career, I think, slightly limited by the existence of kind of. Gadin and Lugano initially and then Jimenez meant that Uruguay have had tons of brilliant brilliant centre-backs over the years um, and while Bentancur is obviously a very different player mm. stylistically like he's much kind of smoother and silkier on the ball I think he does have a little bit of that you know I don't think he's going to mind leaving his foot in if he uh, if, if he thinks it's in the best interest of Tottenham later on this season yeah, which takes me to two things. Um, Kevin De Bruyne complaining bitterly to referee when Spurs weren't pulled up for a tactical foul. Oh, my God, oh, yeah. Oh, the irony. Oh, Manchester man. City, please, <laughs> don't do that. Don't embarrass yourselves. Um, and secondly, and I'm sure people have heard this story a million times, but one of my favourite things about football is that uh, when, when Uruguay won the World Cup in 1950, um, it was in Brazil. Brazil were hot favourites to win it. Brazil were expected to win it. And their tiny local neighbour won the cup. The cup was taken then across the River Plate back to Montevideo for the, you know, when they won it for the public parading. One, over half the population of the entire country was there to greet the trophy um, as the city of Montevideo, or Montevideo as people started calling it now, um, was swamped with people. And the then Uruguayan president, who name, whose name escapes my walnut-sized brain, said, other countries have their history, we have our football and that stays deep, deep, mm-hmm. deep in my heart. Well, I think, oh, I think it's also a good place to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about some of the more peripheral um, issues from that fantastic win um, at the Etihad. Um, and we'll talk about Charlie's uh, interview, which is very, very fantastic indeed, with uh, Benoit Asso-Ekoto. More coming up to you very, very soon here on The View from the Lane. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Yeah, welcome back to, to the view from the lane. A bit triumphant today, and that's the right way for it to be. One or two uh, peripheral issues I want to discuss um, from the, the game at the Etihad. First of all, and it, I, I don't know whether this is comedy or actually very, very serious. Um, the goal, the winning goal goes in, um, and all kinds of things happen in the technical area. Um, Pep Guardiola, bless him, does that thing that he does where he uh, throws his, his body to the ground. Um, almost, you know, he, he just deflates and goes to the ground and say, oh, that's terrible. Um, and Antonio Conte did does what he does as well, which is to go absolutely bonkers. And there's a moment there where he runs away from the technical area, then runs back towards it and hurls himself 
um, like a member of the Red Hot Chili Peppers going crowd surfing into the assembled blue gilets or puffer jackets of the Spurs technical staff. Now, unfortunately, uh, the full weight of Antonio Conte lands smack dab in the face of Ryan of Ryan Mason. And you can see Ryan trying to get away from him uh, at that moment. Either Antonio is un, unaware that Ryan's had metal plates put into his head after that terrible injury. And I know he doesn't want special consideration about this because I've worked with him, uh, Ryan, since, since he'd come back into the, the, the world. Um, but I just thought, oh, be careful because um, it was wonderful. They were all so excited. But I thought, does, I mean, I suppose Conti may or may not know that he's not supposed to jump on his head. Well, wasn't he the manager when, for the incident that that happened? Oh, you're, he must have been. you've got a, a brain like a steel trap. Is that right? It was Chelsea against Hull, was it? It was Chelsea v Hull, yeah. Ah, well, then and he must be acutely aware of it. So you'd think he would be. Yeah, he just um, doesn't care, does he? Well, I think Conte, when he, yeah, when he's celebrating and that, I, <laughs> yeah. don't think there's, I don't think, I don't know what's going through his mind, but probably just pure sort of frenzy. Um, the other thing, Jack, that was really interesting in the way social media goes for things Craig Pawson um, <laughs> the goal goes in Guardiola throws himself to the floor and Craig Pawson d- does make that exact disappointed head turn that we all do <laughs> when the team concedes a late goal um, now look I don't know whether he's a secret Manchester City supporter. I don't know what was going on there, but what was interesting was the way the thing went on fire in social media. Yeah, it's all a bit um, Zapruder film, you know, people over, like desperately overanalyzing, uh, you know, blurry bits of footage, trying to read a bit too much into it. Fans always have opinions about what ref- specific referees think about their specific team. I'm uh, not sure I always agree with those but I'm sure lots of our listeners will think that Pawson is indeed anti-Tottenham but but, but of course what set off uh, Charlie was um, other bits of film then um, from the grassy knoll showing other times when he has shown (laughs) any emotion whatsoever for one team or another scoring missing uh, etc yeah I mean it's it's fairly unsurprising that that's how it would unfold it feels an entirely appropriate uh, or sort of anticipated reaction in 2022 for that sort of thing I mean because there was the one what's the famous is it Mike Dean who jumped up celebrating I think when Spurs scored was it against Aston Villa and that became a big a big talking point he played an advantage is that the one yeah Yeah. he he was celebrating an advantage (laughs) but it wasn't a great look I only mentioned it because I thought it was and I am always looking for um, signs that the referees are bent Um, but I thought that was really really pushing it uh, myself poor old Craig Pawson and also you're in a stadium with 50,000 people going uh, some of them going haywire others sending out beams of disappointment you know, we're all human beings we react uh, to the to the the, the moment um, and uh, but he didn't do anything did he all he did was turn his head slightly to one side I do think it's interesting that just going back to you, you mentioned about the tactical fouling and I do think it's extraordinary how good City are at it and how often they seem to get away with bookings and I do think that so much we often talk about refs as being biased or crooked in some way I think the reality is they're humans and there are ways of getting out of bookings and getting out of red cards that's really interesting when when you like I've watched Rodri a few times and he's so good at doing that thing 
committing a foul and then sort of straight away saying like, yeah, no, no, I know. Yeah, yeah. you, you, you yeah. got me. Go. Like, oh, mate, yeah. No, yeah, no, no, no. Mate, yeah. Uh, the, the, the kind of mayor culpa. Contrast that with like a Granite Xhaka who Defiant. probably does... <laughs> <laughs> you know that there, who probably does get quite harshly treated, but there are ways of committing tactical fouls that make it, that somehow get you able to weasel your way out of them. It helps often Completely. as well, English players. Yeah, yeah. well, that's why. Um, I mean, he's not really in the team so much this season for City, but the greatest tactical foul I've ever seen, and also you know connected to that, the greatest ever talker of himself out of bookings is the great Fernandinho. Mm. Absolutely spot on. Yeah, the, the the Teflon Don, who basically has that same skill that I remember. The other, the only other player I can remember being quite as good at it before Fernandinho was the great Mark Van Bommel. And Fernandinho, like, is, you know, he, do, he does it like kind of 10 times a game. He'll trip someone up from behind as they're trying to counterattack. And then he'll just kind of come over to the ref and say, it's all right, it's all, you know, we're all grown-ups here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I accidentally caught him. Of course they didn't mean to, God forbid. Uh, and then Fernandinho never, ever gets booked. Or he'll get booked for, like, his seventh foul in the 88th minute when City were already 3-0 up. Um and yeah, it's it's kind of impressive that even though Fernandinho is not in the team anymore, Rodri does seem to have learned a bit from that. And His what's also interesting, yeah, it, it really does. Like footballistically, what's interesting is that if you look at how like City and Liverpool have a similar problem in the sense they both play really high up the pitch, and that obviously leaves them uh, yeah. prone to the counter. Whereas Liverpool's mecha- Liverpool's method to kind of make themselves. Uh, to to stop themselves from being vulnerable on the counter is to have play basically the best offside trap anywhere in football. Liverpool are unbelievable at catching teams offside, and every game they catch the team the, the opposition offside so many times. Whereas City don't really do that so much. It's all to do with their kind of mastery of the dark arts on this, uh, which of course is why it's so funny to see De Bruyne kicking off. It's a bit like on a set piece when you see a defender who you know is always really bad at grab at, mm-hmm. at grappling. Complaining to the ref, but like, how dare they? Do, how dare he have his arms? Like Harry Maguire yesterday, Feliz did a bit of that. Yeah, or <laughs> Romero. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. The, the, some of the Romero versus Ruben Diaz stuff in the box was great stuff. It was like watching wrestling. It was, and 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 just so being you know, clearly, this is a Spurs podcast. We're supposed to be biased slightly towards them, um, uh, just to make sure that people don't think um, we are completely snow blind. Um, Spurs can't really get on their high horse too much about tactical fouling because, of course, they're a really good team. Under Pochettino, were also at it all the time. Totally. I used to sit there at White Hart Lane, as, as was, and latterly at the Newstead, particularly at the uh, White Hart Lane. And the combination, I mean, Eric Dyer, when he's playing in midfield, um, used to direct. I mean, they, they were literally sharing out the fouling to keep the referees on the back foot about it, but they were tactical fouling all the time. The thing is, though, with tactical fouling, and you see this with City and that Pochettino team, two things. One is that you foul early enough in the move so that it doesn't look like a kind of that big a deal. You can, you can, and that helps with the Rodri Fernandinho. Look, yeah, yeah, no, no, I know, but come on, come on, thing. But also, if you're a good team, perception makes a massive difference because they kind of think, oh, well, but this is City or this is Pochettino Spurs. They're really good. They don't need to be fouling people all the time. Whereas, you know, if that's. Burnley. A team that aren't so good. Burnley, if that's Granite Xhaka getting left for dead again, it's like, okay, he's fouling because he's really, really slow, so I'm going to book him. So I do think it helps you kind of, yeah, if, if you are a better team, your reputation almost goes before you in a good way. Well, that, 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 that's something that, you know, we, it, doesn't bear, it doesn't bear repeating, but, um, you know, the referees have got to treat each absolutely each incident as though it was the first time they've ever seen this and that the players are all wearing 
white or red or blue shirts and there should be no differential um, exactly. I mean, uh, not, not that I'm going to moan about it. I thought in the modern game, the, the Romero thing was a penalty, but I saw an identical one with Brentford and Arsenal where the Brentford defended exactly the same thing and it wasn't given. Don't get me started. Um, I, I think I might have been more upset about it if Spurs hadn't gone on to get a winner. I think we probably, um, well, I, I, it can't be possible that we squeezed all the juice out of that fantastic victory. And let's hope Spurs are not going to make a habit of this, that the only games they're going to win are away games by three goals to two with the goal coming in the 96th minute. Um, I don't think my old ticker will stand too many of those. To just change pace a little bit towards the end of this edition of The View from the Lane, um, Charlie, you interviewed a kind of cult hero at Spurs, um, you've, you've interviewed Benoit Asuakotu, who, you know, everyone remembers um, because he said, I only play for the money, which was A, taken out of context. Imagine doing that. Um, and B, forgets other things like he was a pretty good player and a very good Harry Redknapp team, particularly at Spurs. And things like I remember the work he did, quotes, in the community after the Tottenham riots. Mm. There's a lot more to mm. Benoit Asuakotu than just the fact that he admits that he likes the money that professional footballers make. How did you find him? And because your interview is absolutely, well, it's brilliant. So how did you find him? Really, really good to talk to. I mean, he, obviously my expectations were high because he was always such an outspoken, seemingly three-dimensional character whilst playing. But I guess the challenge is a lot of what he said, you know, he he said a lot whilst playing. So um, yeah, it was kind of finding new things, but I thought it was really interesting reflecting on him because because that what like you say that was always a slight the, the impression was given that he the the man who hates football I know, I know. Him, which which wasn't really the case what he was saying was football like most thing like pretty much every profession is a job and money is a big motivation for people and he said that again and he said everyone pretty much agreed with him that doesn't mean he didn't have moments of ecstasy whilst doing it or really enjoy it. Um, and that he didn't work really hard, which he did. And I do think his unorthodoxy and the fact that he was, you know, was characterized as a big character did take away from the fact that he was a really, really good left back. And he was, for those two seasons where Spurs finished fourth in 2010 and 2012, he was one of the best in the league. Really solid, good going forward. Uh, just just a, one of those players you can slot in your team and you, you know, you don't have to worry about. But yeah, he was, so he was very interesting. And he's, and he's talking... He was saying how different his career might have been, you know, had he not said what he said. Been more conformist, he, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure that's true. You know, there are a lot of clubs who are probably like, oh, we can't really sign him because, you know, he has this reputation. He's saying that he's playing amateur football now and loving it, which I really liked as a kind of coda to his career. He's playing and he's he's 37 and he he's obviously good enough to play. This is an sure. amateur team local to him. He can play for the... The, the proper team but he plays mainly for the vets team because he says he connects better with them and I just love the idea of them having Benoit Asuakoto and, oh, and, and uh, 10 years even older I love the fact that Julio Arca such a skilled player still yes. still plays for his local village team up in the northeast. You don't. that's what you don't need on a February morning with a sleet hitting you <laughs> horizontally is uh, 90 minutes chasing around over, uh, after Julio Arca you don't need that Especially as Asuakotu said, he's still so competitive that he's still, you know, especially when he plays against the younger players, he's like, none of you are getting past me. I'm absolutely, I'm still going to tackle hard and all of this. Great re re uh, reminiscing about Spurs as well. You know, he talks about his former managers, how much he loved Redknapp, uh, how much he didn't get on with some of the others, or certainly, you know, he he had his issues 
uh, with them and talked about the players he loved playing with. So it was, it was just, it was really, really good. And we chatted for like two hours. He was one of those How lovely. really generous with his time. And t- t- yeah. T- just it's... repeat uh, for those who haven't yet read the piece, those fools, um, um, uh, the, the story about how he thinks his hair might have set him back in his career. Yeah, I mean, that, that hair thing was crazy. But yeah, I mean, you can listen. Th- th- this is what he said on that. Do you um, Do you have any regrets from your career or do you just, you move on and you have to accept it? It, it, it is not a regret, but I would like to see if I do the same uh, career without, to be honest. That would be fascinating. Yeah, it will be boring. <laughs> it will be boring, 200%. That's, that's also and, true. Know, even even the, the hair. I spoke with a, an Italian club. He said, oh, we like you, but... Uh, it's difficult for us to explain to the fans that we're going to buy a player, that your hair, blah, blah, blah. I would like to do a, a career without to speak honestly, without to be extravagant with my hair. Mm-hmm. See what, uh, what's going to happen. That's so interesting. What was the club, can you say? Uh, a stupid Italian club. Do you think there was a racial element as well? Is that just them being uh, 200%. stupid? 200%. Italian club, 200%. Yeah. 200%. And do you think you experienced that generally in your career, the way you were perceived? Um, that's why I, I told my agent I want to play in England. Mm. For the mentality is totally different. Maybe some people complain about England in England, but believe me, come live in France, you will understand. Really? But in England, I think you are more cool about everything. Uh, that's why I, I, I chose England, and I, that's why it was cool in England. Yeah, very, really, really lovely, uh, Charlie, and of course, um, just a wonderful accent as well. I hear the English language spoken like that, just beautiful. Jack, um, I used to ask um, on my radio program, the Press Box, I used to always ask journalists, is there one football interview you'd really, really, really like to get? And the answer always is, I mean, this like Roman Abramovich. Right. So, but is there an ex-player? Um, a bit like um, Charlie getting to sit down there for two hours, which I think brings, if they are prepared to give you the time, of course, it brings a whole new dimension to interview. So I can give you, I can give you two hours with any. Um, they have to be living. Any player who, who would you choose to sit down and try and talk to? Of former Tottenham players who are still with oh, us. Yeah. Um, I mean, these are fairly obvious answers, but Adilas, mm. I think, would be fascinating. Um, to talk not just about his time playing for Tottenham, but also playing for Argentina in the World Cups and Diego Maradona, and then also his time in management. And was he just was he too was he too kind of modern, too ambitious, too expansive for his own time? Did his football? You know, it's been suggested to me in the past that the way that he he tried to play in 1994 uh, was actually based on how Menotti played. As when he was Argentina manager, so I'd be interested in in hearing that. Also, the other one, I mean, again, this is a really obvious answer. So apologies for not thinking outside the box, but Gaza. Yeah, you know, man. I think there's a, I think there's this thing with Gaza, which is that it's 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 kind of must be a generational thing. But to people younger than me, I don't think so. I'm I'm 33, so I remember Gaza. You know, I remember Gaza being a big star, being on Football Italia. Obviously, I remember Euro 96. I remember him being brilliant for Rangers. 
and all that stuff. So, but even then, I was kind of coming into certainly the sort of second half of the Gaza career when I started getting into football. And I certainly feel like people who are younger than me, so people in their teens and 20s, they kind of don't really know how good Gaza was. And it's worse, isn't it? Like, because they see the uh, scrapes and escapades yeah, get themselves they through just now. Know, yeah, if you ask, like, I reckon if you ask a young Tottenham fan, or not, no, not even Tottenham fan, a young football fan in the UK about Gaza, they'd say, oh, he's a bit of a clown, he cried in the 1990 World Cup, he scored that great goal against Scotland in 96, uh, I think he might have played for Tottenham and Lazio and Rangers, but not sure. Uh, and now he's a bit of a kind of sad, sad joke figure on the internet. Yeah. Um, but I and the other day somebody tweeted a clip. I mean, it was a clip of I think it was how Gaza played in Tottenham's run to the nineteen ninety one FA Cup final. The most. And when you go, the, Danny, you'll be you'll be able to tell us much more about this than I know. But he was sensational. No, the, he was utterly sensational. That's, I'm going to say these words now. That season, nineteen ninety one. Paul Gascoigne played the best football ever played by anybody to pose. So, uh, you know, I can't speak about the 1950s and 40s, but um, he played as well as any Spurs player has ever played. And that includes Gareth Bale's great season. That includes some of the things that Kane has done in recent years. He was extraordinary. And that run to the FA Cup, people used it because he kind of picked up a, a reasonably average team. They had some good players. I mean, Lineker was in that team as well. Um, and just ploughed them into the cup final. The goals he got at Portsmouth, um, one of them was like almost comic book. He got a header, very rare thing for Paul, where he appears to be eight foot off the ground and parallel to it, like something out of a comic. Um, and you're right, it's it's very hard, even those who are, who are paid um, to you know push the language along, uh, along in front of us, it's very hard to describe um, what Paul Gascoigne was like at his very, very peak. Because, of course... He was so extraordinary that we reached the edges of things, which is the place where language breaks down. You have to see it with your own eyes. So I'd recommend you to go to YouTube and watch those those clips of what Paul was doing. What it was, if I remember rightly, um, you're absolutely right, Jack, is somebody had put up, I think he got 19 goals that season from midfield, and people have just put up the goals. And they are all brilliant, every single one of them. Um, and they're different kinds of brilliant as well, including that free kick against <clears throat> Arsenal. The change, like the change of pace, is amazing. Oh. His ability to his ability to run through players in the middle of the pitch, and again, this is you know this is pitches from thirty plus and years pre ago. So it's pre is the injury, of course. Yeah, yeah, and people are, people are kicking him, and he's hurdling the tackles. His incredible two footedness, his like different range of finishes from the edge of the box, the audacity. Honest, like I would love to. I don't know whether this would be interviewing Gaza or people who played with him, but just to convey some of that. Unbelievable brilliance! Like, yeah. You know, we we talked a bit about when when uh, the great Jimmy Greaves passed away a few months ago. We were talking about how you know you have to go back and you have to go back and watch to marvel at how unbelievably good he was. And I think Gaza is probably at that same level of Greaves in terms of you know the most talented players ever to come from from this country and to play for Tottenham. Yeah, and that that that's that's the eternal challenge for us because at the very edges of knowledge, that's that's yeah. where language breaks down, isn't it? And, and you have to use other tools. Yeah, no, no words will ever be enough. No, like, no, no, no words can ever unless you're unless it's like uh, was the, the famous David Foster Wallace essay about Roger Federal and religious experience. Like you can't actually convey the quality of what you're watching through the written word. 
and I would say I, I've had the opportunity to sit down and I did a My Sporting Life with Aussie R dealers. And when you've done all the football and the rest of it, you've still got his, his legal career to get through. And the fact that he he's a, he plays chess at a very, very high level. And he likes to play postal chess, even in this electronic age, because he likes the pace of it. He likes the moves that come every two weeks. Uh, he's an extraordinary man. Um, listen, um, I recommend that uh, the interview, as I say, with Benoit Asso Okoto. Uh, thank you both very, very much much um, on what's been a, a joyous podcast really for Spurs fans because um, those results and the timing of those goals they don't come along very often about once a month it turns out with this Spurs team um, and hopefully when we come back again next Thursday we won't be moaning and groaning about a terrible performance at Burnley um, I say thank you both very much indeed and of course as you heard there the, the, the Athletic is full of great stuff um, even beyond this this podcast. And if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can read all of our articles on Spurs, including Charlie's, of course, as well as everything else is on the site. It's a vast amount of gear by going to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. And right now you can sign up for just £1 a month for six months. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. We'll be back on Thursday. I'm going to repeat last uh, the last mantra. We're back on Thursday to celebrate another thumping victory for Spurs over Burnley. Thank you all for listening. The Athletic.